If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. This week at II Podcasts, we are delighted to be launching a brand new series, UniTalks, a podcast for university access. To listen to A-level students questioning our leading academics about their work, follow the link in the bio. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times. Last week's episode, Knowing Others and Knowing Oneself, saw us looking inwardly to see if we can truly know ourselves. In this week's podcast, as part of our January Brave New World series, we're looking outward, far, far out, to new cosmological horizons. Who better to take us there than our speaker for this week, theoretical physicist Eric Verlind. Newton is famous for writing down uh, his equations for gravity, then Einstein, a century ago, has a theory, had a theory that replaced Newton's, or at least contained it. And now we are in the middle of another revolution in, in, in theoretical physics that we have again in the middle of developing a new view of gravity, a new way of thinking about gravity, and indeed also trying to solve puzzles that we have with thinking about it. So Newton indeed has uh, wrote down his equations for uh, gravity, how it works as uh, 1 over the distance squared, and he describes very successfully how the planets orbit the sun. And when you calculate using Newton's law, how the velocities of planets behave as a function of the distance from the sun, they will go slower. And that's precisely what you observe. So Newton's theory is very well tested. Although there were tiny problems that Newton had in explaining, uh, I mean, if we would apply his theory to say what happened to the inner planet, which was Mercury, it had slight deviations. Actually, Newton would have predicted that orbits were close orbits, but what really happens is that every time it goes around it, there's a little difference in the angle. And that is, can be explained with Newton's theory if we assume that there would be one other more planet closer to the Sun, hidden there with us, for us not to be able to see it, which is called Vulcan. People searched for it, but it was not found. And indeed, now we know that this is explained by Einstein's theory of general relativities. Now I'm going to go make a jump and actually go to another object, which is not the solar system, but something we live in as well, which is called the galaxy or the Milky Way. And it has some similar properties in the sense that most of the matter is in the middle and there are stars going around it. And then you can uh, ask, well, does gravity uh, work the same way there? And then if you look, uh, you find that something really goes uh, different than what Newton and later also Einstein would have predicted, namely that the velocities would diminish when you go as a, as a function of the distance, 
that would indeed have been uh, what Newton described or, or, or Einstein if you take all the matter that we see, which is in the center, and you go out to the stars far out, you would expect that the velocities go down because otherwise they would move too fast and they would simply fly out of orbit. That's not what's happening. We see that the velocities stay constant and they, the stars are going way too fast to be able to hold gravity, having them hold together. And that's also here in Andromeda, and this is something that has been seen in many, many galaxies. And there's only one way to explain it, if you believe that the Einstein and the, and the Newton equations are correct, namely assuming there's more force to keep it all together. And this is the phenomenon we call dark matter. People have to assume that there's more matter in, in galaxies than we can see, which has to produce the extra gravity. And not just a little bit, uh, in our galaxy it's about 30 times more than the matter that we can see. And that's not just a tiny planet that you put next to the sun to explain a little deviation. That's a big modification of really what we currently can see. But we believe that Einstein's theory and, and, and also Newton's theory is correct still here. Uh, and therefore, there must be dark matter. Maybe not so simple. Some distribution of mass around this galaxy in a, a giant, what we call a halo. But what explains it? Is it some particle we haven't found yet that's sort of making up all of this mass? Or is there another explanation? Now, I already mentioned Einstein. I mean, Einstein describes gravity in a very different way than Newton. Einstein thought about space and time as having a, a geometry like, well, the Earth is round, you know. I mean, also space-time can be curved according to Einstein. And Einstein wrote down equations that describe how space and time curve when we put in matter. So instead of thinking about the force like Newton did, where you have just two masses that attract each other according to some given law, he thought about the motion of matter through space-time, but that matter indeed curves the space-time and therefore the motion of objects uh, is not going in straight lines, but goes like, say, the orbits of the planets around the sun. And he had made a number of predictions, and many actually, that uh, have indeed also been uh, confirmed. The fact that light bends. Another prediction that's sort of famous in the last months is that uh, gravity uh, also can have waves, much like light has waves, gravity also has waves. And this is a prediction of Einstein, where, for instance, uh, this is what had been observed recently by LIGO, that if two black holes, very heavy objects, can collide together, they send ripples into the shape or the geometry of space-time and they propagate outwards to us and we can see those little deformations of, uh, of space here on Earth by measuring distances very carefully. And indeed this confirmation that gravity waves exist is a, is a spectacular verification of Einstein's theory of general relativity. But I already mentioned some cases where it doesn't really work uh, that well. And so this uh, problem of dark matter. Actually, you can use Einstein's theory also to verify this idea. So I mentioned that light is being bent uh, by gravity. So when we have an object that's behind a massive galaxy or some, some cluster or something that's in between, then any object that's behind it will send its light around the object in front of it in such a way that we can see the same image from different angles and it forms a ring in the sense the light can go all sides around it 
and this is called the Einstein ring, and it's a beautiful confirmation that gravity sort of works like a lens. Because with lenses, we also know we can bend light, and you can form images. So this is not what it looks like, it's really something that's behind it, where the light has been bent around it. So it's quite beautiful. This can be seen with, for instance, the Hubble telescope. And we can indeed figure out how much mass there should be in there, because by looking at how the light comes towards us, we can see how much matter should be in the middle. Now, there's plenty of other reasons to believe that there's something out there which we haven't uh, understood. Actually, and when we look at all of the energy in our universe, this is something we can figure out from general relativity. We believe that the universe is basically filled mostly with stuff we don't understand. The ordinary matter that you and I are made of and that we can see in stars is less than 5%, or even in gas, and there's a lot of stuff you have to add up even to get to this 5%. But there's 95% in other stuff. The dark matter, but also something called dark energy, which is responsible for uh, the accelerated, uh, well, the expansion also of, of our universe. And the fact that it adds up in a nice way also makes clear why the universe sort of looks large and flat as we uh, go out. So this is what we understand and what we see, which is a very tiny bit, and stuff we don't really know what it is, dark matter and also dark energy, but it actually for me it's an indication that there's something we don't know about gravity. When we look out in our universe, we look out further out, and everything that we see far is also light that travels towards us. So it has to take a certain amount of time before it gets to us. So when we are in the center, we look backwards. Any distance away from us takes us farther back in time. If you draw that picture like this, uh, the next slide, yeah. Then here we are in the center, and then you can sort of think about spheres around us where if you go further and further, every time you go back in time. Now, what you also see that there is basically a finite distance to where we after which we cannot see anymore. And this indeed also has to do with the expansion of the universe. If the universe expands, there is uh, at some moment a point, so things move away from us and they move faster away from us the further we go. And at some moment things will start moving away from us with the speed of light. And then any light that's been sent to us can no longer reach us and then we don't see what's happening afterwards. So there's some finer distance after which you cannot view our universe anymore. And this is what's called a cosmological horizon. So my picture of the universe is like this. Indeed, we're sort of in the middle, but that's because we're looking at the universe from our point of view. But there is some distance we cannot look further, just like with an ordinary uh, horizon. But this is what our, our everything that we see is contained in. But I will come back to horizons later, but the fact that our universe has a horizon is very important and has to do with the expansion of the universe. There's a finite distance beyond which we cannot look any further. So I mentioned there are other horizons, and this is the other topic I want to discuss. And this is something where we're learning more about gravity, and that's black holes. That's another prediction of Einstein's theory, namely it's when matter is put together uh, so much matter concentrated in this little, little part of space that uh, gravity is so strong that light cannot even escape. Then again, there is some distance where if you would try to emit light, it would not really reach us. So there's some imaginary sphere around the black hole where that's the surface when if you go beyond that, you would have to travel faster than light even to be able to reach us. So to escape from the gravity from a black hole, 
you can escape still when you're outside the horizon, but inside the horizon, you will be drawn into it. So this horizon, as I said, plays a similar role actually as the horizon in, in our universe, because it indeed is, is a region beyond which we cannot look anymore. That's really the, how far we can see space-time existing. And it has something to do with the curvature of space-time, because one way to think about uh, a horizon is like this. If you have, say, the mass of the sun uh, is not big enough to form a black hole, because it's also a large object. If you would concentrate the mass in a much more tinier region, the gravitational field would become stronger and stronger, and actually the curvature of space-time would become so large that eventually there's this tunnel being formed, the curvature, and all the matter would go down into uh, a hole, and we would not be able to see the matter anymore, and this is where sort of, uh, so one of these circles uh, should be the horizon. So you can think about this also as some sheet where the matter really curves it because it's sort of pulling it uh, down. So this is with Einstein's theory, nothing new I added here, but we have been thinking more about what gravity really is. So now I can enter into the uh, arguments why there is another theory of gravity which also makes use of black holes. And it goes back uh, to sort of mid-70s or early 70s, like people like Bekenstein and also Hawking, which I'm going to mention in a minute, are starting to do black hole thought experiments. So when you think about a black hole with horizon, you can ask questions about what happens when you throw stuff into the black hole. And just for theoretical physicists, this is uh, a laboratory to do Gedanken experiments or something that uh, teaches us about gravity and, and, and uh, particular uh, gravity near black holes. Now, what Hawking discovered, who uh, followed actually the idea of Bekenstein, is that black holes, when you think about quantum mechanics, and this is uh, an important aspect that well, I need to mention, of course, is that, that the new ideas we have about gravity have to do with the fact that we don't understand yet how gravity and quantum mechanics all work together. And so there are many ways we can do research on thinking about quantum mechanics and gravity, and one of them is thinking about what happens near black holes. And what Hawking discovered is that quantum mechanics makes black holes not totally black, but they can emit a little bit of radiation. And the way that works is that because of the quantum mechanics, quantum uncertainties, we can have particles and antiparticles spontaneously because of the quantum mechanics uh, or, uh, arising from, from the, the vacuum, they exist for a little bit and then they disappear again. This happens everywhere, but what happens near horizons is that one of the particles and its antiparticle, one, say one of them, falls into the black hole and they cannot recombine anymore. So one of them escapes and the other one falls in. Well, normally they would simply uh, fight each other again, but near the horizons that doesn't happen and then suddenly we see particles coming out. And this is the radiation, this is called Hawking radiation, and there's even a temperature you can associate to that. And that's a, a, an important discovery, namely that black holes have a temperature. So how can space have a temperature? Or black holes even? Well, there's even another quantity they calculate. It's a quantity uh, in, uh, in thermodynamics that I will explain in a minute. And that's what uh, Bekenstein and Hawking found is that when you think about the horizon of a black hole, it's a giant sphere, but it tells you something about what you throw in, in particular the size of the horizon. So when I throw more into the black hole, the horizon gets bigger. And what has been discovered is that the horizon area is something that tells us about how much information you can think about we threw into the black hole. So if I 
throw in something into the black hole, its information is lost because we cannot see it anymore, it disappears behind the horizon. And there's a way you can count the information by thinking about the number of bits you use to describe it. Now, how many bits are associated to a black hole? You basically divide up the area in small elements, which are of the very tiny size, the Planck's length. The amount of information in here is proportional to the area divided by a scale which is so tiny that, well, it's, it's 10 to the minus 33 centimeters, which is giving you an enormous amount of information associated to black hole. Now, this means that it has a temperature and also this quantity called an entropy. And it means it has many properties that we know from uh, thermodynamics. And the laws of gravity start to become like thermodynamics, which is a theory that normally pre uh, describes indeed pressure, temperature, uh, heat, things like that, which we can derive from the motion of molecules. So this discovery, I think, eventually really told us that something uh, was wrong even, I think, eventually with the theory of relativity in the sense that it is eventually a, a new way to think about it. We can derive these equations. So indeed, this is sort of a crack in the, in the theory of uh, Einstein. And so what is the new theory that's replacing it? And for that, I need to explain a new way of thinking about how forces even arise or how laws of nature would arise from a microscopic point of view. Because we want to understand indeed what is this information I mentioned, but also uh, yeah, where does gravity then comes from. So if we have the temperature already mentioned, uh, but also pressure, if you really think where it comes from, it has nothing to do with the properties of a single atom. A single atom doesn't have a temperature or doesn't have a pressure. So the, the, the properties of a gas like pressure or temperature actually come from averaging over all the uh, molecules together. One molecule of water is not wet, it's only when you have many molecules together. So this is what's called emergence. When you have many things together, they give rise to the quantities that we see. And for example, in the temperature is a, a measure of really what's happening by averaging over all molecules. It's the average energy per molecule. And entropy, which is the other quality I measured, is basically and how many ways can these move? So if I look at all the molecules in this room, they can move in many ways. And if I keep track of that, how many ways is possible, then uh, that's what we call entropy. So what's the new ideas that we are having is that we can indeed derive eventually uh, gravity from, uh, from a microscopic perspective. The black holes taught us that uh, there's a certain amount of information associated with black holes. And by thinking about this information, we can actually derive the laws of gravity just in the same way that we can derive the laws of thermodynamics. Quantum mechanics tells us a lot about particles, but it tells us in particular that particles can have very strange properties that if I think about the possibility of measuring a particle with a certain spin and have another particle with a certain spin, they can share the information in the following way that if you observe the particle in one area uh, actually it predicts the outcome of the, the observation on the other particle, even if those particles are not connected. This is something we call entanglement. One thing, uh, just as a, to, to take away from my talk, I told you that our universe has horizon, which is where black holes also have horizon. And there's some way we can understand gravity from thinking about all of this information that's in our universe that's associated to the horizon. 
and then even understand the gravity that describes these galaxies. And there's even a relationship between what we observe in galaxies and the size uh, of our universe. And so it's uh, the new view of gravity is that we can derive the equations that Einstein wrote down by thinking about the microscopic building blocks of space-time itself in terms of the information that's contained in it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, which was brought to you by the Institute of Arts and Ideas. So is Villain's theory of gravity taking us one step closer to a theory of the universe? Let us know by tweeting at iai underscore tv with the hashtag philosophy for our times.